Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. The outline of the rest of this chapter is almost identical to the first part of the chapter. If you remember, the first 11 verses broke down into, you were but God, so that. Well, the last 12 verses could be broken down into something very similar. Uh, It would look something like this, you were... But now, so then. We, however, as Pastor Miller and I were talking, we've chosen to break the final 12 verses into two parts. So this week we're going to look at verses 11 through 13, and next week we'll look at verses 14 to 23. And so uh, with that being said, would you now stand in the honor of God's Word and the reading of it? As Matt read earlier, he read the entirety of chapter 2. We're going to read our text this evening, verses 11 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that on, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for our time together tonight. And because we understand the importance of, or we're going to talk about the importance of remembering, would you plant these truths deep within our hearts? Would you bring forth fruit? Would you change us from the inside out? Bend our wills to this, your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, pop rock singer, songwriter, and multimillionaire Katy Perry has a Jesus tattoo on her forearm, or on her wrist, I think. Uh, Once, when asked about it, she said, I got this Jesus tattoo on my wrist when I was 18 because I know that it's always going to be a part of me. When I'm playing, it's staring right back at me, saying, remember where you came from. Now, based on what we see and hear and read of Katy Perry, uh, the questions that automatically come to mind are, Um, How does the Jesus tattoo help her remember where she came from? When she looks at it, does does she think of Jesus? And what Jesus does she think of? Or does she think of her life apart from Him? Or is it a symbol that reminds her of growing up in that Pentecostal family, traveling from place to place and city to city as her parents set up churches? Um, Is it a symbol of the different Christian schools she attended? Or does it remind her of the legalism that defined her home life? Really, we're left to wonder if the tattoo and her memory of where she came from is supposed to bring her comfort when life gets hard, or if it's supposed to justify her rebellion toward her parents and her past and maybe the God she resents. Well, unlike Ms. Perry, I think Paul's very clear why he wants the Gentile believers in Ephesus to remember where they came from. I think he knows 
and understands and appreciates that their appreciation for who they were in the present, in Christ, was directly proportionate to their remembering of who they were apart from Him. And the same is true for you and me, for us today, so that we can maintain our appreciation for who we are in Christ today, we need to remember and look back at who we were apart from Him. Because those things are directly proportionate to one another. And Paul makes three very specific points in this regard in these three verses. Uh, one, we were in a sinful condition. Two, we were in a hopeless position. But now we are in a close connection. Let's begin first in verse 11 with a sinful condition. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed or not. You probably have. But throughout the letter to this point, Paul has moved... Uh, between using first and second person pronouns. Uh, in chapter 1, he uses us and we uh, through verse 12. Uh, in verse 13, he switches to you. But in verse 14, he switches back to our. In verse 15, he moves to your and you. And in verse 19, moves back to us. And in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, he begins with you. Uh, he uses we and our in verses 3 to 7, then moves back to you in verses 8 and 9, and then back to we in verse 10. Now, you may ask, why is that important? Well, there are a couple things. One is the many commentators believe he's moving back and forth between talking to the two groups of Jews and Gentiles. Talking to the Gentiles would be the you and the your. And when he's talking to the Jews, he's referring to the we. And, and of course, who am I to argue with that? Um, and I believe that that's, I'm sure, the case at, at some point. But I also think that he does what a lot of pastors, preachers do, and that is moving back and forth between those to not only speak to the group that he's speaking to, but include himself in that group. And so it's a reminder as, they, as he goes through this letter that you know, this is about you, and this is what I'm instructing you, and this is what I'm teaching you, but please understand I'm a part of this group. But Christ has done the same for me that I'm sharing that he's doing for you, and so we're in this uh, together. Uh, but here in verse 11... Paul specifically points or singles out the Gentiles. These verses are actually a transition. Um, and he's going to reiterate some uh, similar points that he did at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, but he's making a transition because he's going to come to a different conclusion or a different result of uh, what has happened to them because of Jesus Christ. And so in uh, these last 12 verses, he's going to say, you know, you Gentiles who were apart from Christ, uh, you are now in Christ. And then in verses 19 to 23, he's going to uh, lay out the results of that. But that will be our focus next week. Uh, so, so what is he communicating by singling out the Gentiles? Well, I think very clearly he's singling out that uh, what he communicated in verse 1 of chapter 2, and that is that apart from Christ... They were in a very sinful condition. Calvin puts it this way in his sermon on this passage. He says that uh, Paul is reminding them that God had shown them in visible manner how wretched their state was. 
and that they did not need any great depth of understanding to perceive it. For circumcision served, as it were, to rid men of their uncleanness. And furthermore, the sacrament was ordained by God to show that all the seed of man is cursed and that we cannot justify or justly be made holy and pure except by the cutting off and putting away of things we have by nature. Circumcision of the flesh simply pointed to a greater reality and that was circumcision of the heart. Man needed to be circumcised in the heart. Deuteronomy 10 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I, command, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, uh, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and with all that is in it, Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. And it says this, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You see, the bottom line was they were all sinful by nature from birth. It was, it was a root issue, not a fruit issue. It was a heart issue, not simply a behavioral issue. It was who they were, not what they had done or not done. Yes, they had not been circumcised, but that was an outward sign that was supposed to point to an inward reality of who they were by nature. And brothers and sisters, we too were in that same state apart from Christ. We were in a complete and total sinful condition. We read it. Earlier in chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We know from Romans 3 that we were corrupt spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, behaviorally, and volitionally. And we didn't seek after God because we were dead. And dead people don't respond. We were unable to act, unable to respond in any way spiritually. We were in a condition, and in that condition, by nature, having been imputed with the sin of Adam and having inherited his guilt. So it wasn't simply what we did, it was who we were. We were in a sinful condition. But he moves on from that, and he says, we were also in a hopeless position. Verse 12 says, remember that you were at the time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul uses five descriptors to express a very significant reality. Each expresses a particular truth, but all of them are intertwined and and they're uniquely related in speaking of our state as a whole. Notice the descriptors. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope. Without God in the world. Now, to state the obvious. Uh, being Gentiles meant they were not Jewish. And not being Jewish meant they were not a part of the blessings and privileges that came with being one of Abraham's offspring. To whom God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So these descriptors move right in line with that. And so first he says they were separated from Christ. 
So we know, again, from earlier in chapter 2, they were in bondage to sin and they were lacking freedom and they were under the tyranny of Satan. But here he's making this statement being separated from Christ because he wants them to remember that they were not looking forward to a promised Messiah who would deliver them. They were not looking for the Messiah who was going to set them free from that tyranny and from that bondage of sin. Secondly, he says they weren't a part of the nation of Israel or the commonwealth. So they weren't a part of God's kingdom. And therefore they had no rights uh, no, and no claim on the blessings of the kingdom because they weren't citizens of that kingdom. And they weren't, uh, they weren't just indifferent to the kingdom. They were unfriendly and even hostile toward the kingdom. And so there was a, a, a war going on back and forth between those within and those without Third, they were unknown as far as God's covenants were concerned. They were unacquainted with the covenants God made with his people. So they weren't participating in those covenants. They weren't participating in the one overall covenant of grace that God had made with Abraham. And so they also weren't participants in the individual covenants that were a part of that overall covenant as as things progressed. And so the bottom line was they were being kept from and without any right to that ultimate promise of salvation through the seed of Abraham, who was and is Jesus Christ. So fourthly, as a result, they had no hope. There there was absolutely no hope. And fifthly, that hope was because they were without God, who is the only one in which there is any hope. So, as Calvin put it, they were as good as banished from God's kingdom and church. Now, just linger over that a minute and consider those five, or these five key words that are either present or can be inferred from these descriptions. Separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, and alone. It's pretty weighty, isn't it? It's a very depressing and desperate position, isn't it? And that's, brothers and sisters, that's who we were as well. Apart from Christ. And not simply isolated and indifferent, but hostile to God and His kingdom. We had no idea of the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. We had no rights to claim. We had no privileges to expect anything from God. We were alone and without hope. So we were, we had a sinful condition and we were in a hopeless position. But again, the next two words. But now. Just like earlier in chapter 2 when, we, when we, we are faced with our sinful condition and we hear those wonderful words, but God. Now as we, we face our condition and we face our position and, and the hopelessness that's a part of that, we hear the words, but now. Something is about to come that's going to contradict everything that has just been said and that is this. But now we're in a close connection. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of God's love and mercy, Paul says the Gentiles have been brought near. 
They who are far off due to being separated and alienated and strangers and hopeless and without God were brought near to him by him. God didn't wait for them to close the gap because they couldn't close it on their own. He didn't wait for them to reconcile themselves to him. He reconciled them to himself. He didn't expect or wait for them to end their hostility. No, even while they were enemies, God made a way and Christ died for them. He didn't wait for them to introduce themselves. He initiated the relationship with them. He didn't wait for them to love him first. He loved them first. He didn't meet them halfway and expect or wait for them to do their part and meet him somewhere in the middle. No, he condescended. He lived, died, and rose again from the dead. He, he condescended, took on flesh, became a man, was perfectly obedient to the point of death on the cross for them. So that they might be reconciled to him. He brought them near. He grabbed them. He pulled them close. And he brought them into a close connection with Christ. He united them to Christ Jesus through his blood. Through Christ's blood. The only means by which... We might be reconciled. It was Jesus who was it was Jesus who was separated and alienated from and forsaken by the Father so that they wouldn't have to be. And the same and this and the same is true for you and me. The same is true. And it isn't, I don't think it's too much to repeat. And if you think so, I'm going I'm to do it anyway. Because of God's love and mercy, we've been brought near to God. We who are far off due to being separated and alienated and strangers and hopeless and without God, we were brought near. God didn't wait for us to close the gap because we couldn't close it ourselves. God didn't wait for us to reconcile ourselves to Him. He reconciled us to Him. He didn't expect or wait for us to end our hostility. No, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to introduce ourselves. He he initiated that relationship with us. He didn't wait for us to love Him. He loved us first. He didn't meet us halfway and expect us to do our part and meet Him in the middle. No, He condescended, took on flesh, became a man, was completely obedient to the point of death on the cross for you and me that we might be reconciled to Him. He brought us near. He grabbed us and pulled us close. He brought us into a close connection with Jesus Christ. He put us in union with Jesus. We have been united to Christ and through His blood... That reconciliation is possible. And only through his blood. And just like the Gentiles in Ephesus. Jesus was separated and alienated from. And forsaken by the Father so that we wouldn't have to be. And you know that's, that's not just something that happens to you and me individually. But it's. It's us as a group, as a people. 
As Bonnie said on Thursday at the Women's Bible Study, this is much more corporate because we were looking at all of chapter 2. She said, this is much more corporate than we usually think about. And she's right. And this is, this is going to become much clearer next week. But there are a couple of things, two closing points that I want us to ponder. Um, and the first is this. And it's the importance of remembering. Why would, why would Paul write what he did in verses 11 to 13? Uh, and really 11 through 23, right on the heels of what he's just said in the first 11 verses. I mean... He's just explained who we were and who we are now. He's just made it very clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, but God in his mercy and love granted us faith and saved us by grace alone so that we could be walking displays of his glory and grace. It, really, it's, it's pretty clear why reiterate? I mean, we said this last or a couple of weeks ago. We said, you know, there, there is no, um, well, there's not a better description than being dead. So why, why pick back up? Why almost repeat himself? Well, I, well, he didn't know specifics like we do today that through the research that's been done. He did know that we're all prone to forget. We all have lousy memories. I mean, for example, if you do nothing with the information you hear tonight, if you don't think about it again, if you don't read it, if you don't go over your notes, if you're not taking notes, and if you don't go over your notes, you're going to lose 50 to 80% of what you hear tonight by Tuesday. And, And that's... That's because our brains are constantly taking in information, but only on a temporary basis. Because that information that we take in is, isn't altogether necessary over the long term. And so if it doesn't come up again, our brains dump it off. But what happens is the, the information that we want to hold on to attaches itself to that which we, we, which we cast off and our, body, and our brains just kind of get rid of. And, and that which we want goes right with it. So by next week, you're going to remember even less. And by this time in November, within 30 days, you'll probably only retain 2 to 3% of what's said. And this is why... This is why it's important that we pray for the Lord to plant the truth within our hearts so that it brings forth fruit. It's important for us to pray and to pray that the Lord would sanctify us in truth by the ministry of the Spirit and the Word. And it's important that we, that we listen and we do whatever it is that we can do as we're listening to remember. And it's important that we follow up in our personal times of Bible study and prayer and in our small groups and in our men's and women's Bible studies and our family worship. Because the more familiar, the more familiar we are with the information and the more frequent we receive similar information and the more meaningful that information is to us the more likely we are to retain it it was like i was telling the children earlier you know they they forget when we ask them to take out the trash or to uh, to clean their room but if we tell them we're going camping or 
headed out to Disney World, well, they're going to remember that and they're going to draw pictures of that and they're going to rehearse that and they're going to ask us every day. And Why? Because as Graham said, you know, that's more funner. We need to remember, we need to remember, as Paul said, we need to remember who we were. That's not as fun. It's more funner to re- to, to think about who we are now in Christ. But Paul says we need to remember this that's not, not good. Because we will appreciate who we are in Christ much more when we do. Our appreciation for who we are in Christ is proportionate to how, we, how much we remember who we once were. We need to remember. And that's why Paul says, remember, remember, and repeats himself. Secondly, not only do we need to think about the importance of remembering, we also need to think about the importance of being brought near. Remember the descriptors again, and I've repeated them several times on purpose, but we were separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless and alone. And we live in a time when these words, most importantly, describe life apart from Christ. But you know, they also describe life for many people in the day-to-day, just in the physical, in the temporal, in their relationships with others. And here's what I mean. I came across an article entitled, America's Epidemic of Loneliness, written by George Will. And in it, he ponders and elaborates on and draws conclusions concerning the growing epidemic of persistent loneliness that Senator Ben Sass writes about in his book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Senator Sass from Nebraska, he believes this persistent loneliness is being experienced by a vast majority of Americans and, and so will... Uh, writes this article, and then th- so what I'm about to read to you is is kind of a mixture of things that Will says and Sass says. Uh, this isn't original with me, and it was a little hard to distinguish who was saying what. But anyway, it said Americans are richer, more informed, and connected than ever before, and unhappier, more isolated, and less fulfilled. There's a growing consensus that loneliness, not obesity cancer, or heart disease is the nation's number one health crisis. Persistent loneliness reduces the average longevity more than twice as much as does heavy drinking and more than three times as much as obesity. It's as physically dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and contributes to cognitive decline, including more rapid advance of Alzheimer's. We're dying of despair of the failure to fill the hole millions of Americans feel in their lives. We're addicted to distraction and parched for genuine community, as is reflected in the fact that people check their phones every 4.3 minutes, and 40% of those between the ages of 18 and 29 are online every waking minute. People don't want to be alone. They say they do, but they don't want to be alone. They want to be a part of a community. They want to experience hope and joy, and love, and friendship. They, they want to know and, and be known. 
And you and I, brothers and sisters, you and I have the only lasting answer to that longing. And it's the gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being brought near to God through the blood of Christ is the only true and lasting answer to loneliness, separation, alienation, and hopelessness. And regardless of how far apart someone might be or might feel, no one can ever be too far and out of Christ's reach. And by being brought near in Christ, they and we become a part of a gospel community where everyone is a part and everyone is loved and accepted and known, sins and all. I love how Michael Horton puts it. He says, the church is not a group of friends we've picked. It's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for us. And that's why why we're here. We ourselves long for it. And, And thanks to God, we have it in Christ. We have been brought near to God. God has brought us near to Himself, by Himself, And we're no longer strangers to Him. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer separated from Christ. We're no longer alone. We now have hope. And that's that's why, and and thanks to God, we, we we have that in our relationships with one another here at Christ Church Bentonville. And I, I pray others will as well through us as we're not only willing to engage, but actively engaging, that we are actively engaging those around us on the mission field where God has planted us. May we love deeply and live freely and live, like John said last week, live sent. And, and let, me, let me say this. Tonight, if, if you know you're separated and alienated and a stranger to God... If you're without hope all due to your sin, today, today is a day unto salvation. Come to Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. Repent of your sin and believe on Christ. It's only through His blood shed for sinners like you and me that you will be reconciled to God. You're not too far out of His reach. And once you're united to Christ, there will be absolutely nothing... Nothing at all that can separate you from Him. And you will never again be alone. Regardless of the number of friends you have or maybe don't have, regardless of the number of people around you, regardless of your family situation, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Having brought you near, you will remain near to Him. And whether you come to Christ for the first time tonight or over the next few days, or maybe you're already a believer, and either way, you... You may find yourself and feel as though you're in this state of persistent physical or emotional loneliness without a family or community. And you haven't found a place where you fit in and can be a part. We, let, me, let me say, we would love for you to find a home here. The people here would love to know you, come alongside you, minister to you and with you. We'd love for you to be a part of Christ Church. I can't think of a better group of people for you to be a part of. I don't know of a more loving group. Consider that today. Let's pray together.